You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones, and I am here to welcome you to another Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leaders, leadership, and we talk with leaders of all ages and all stages about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am tremendously excited to welcome my guest, the tremendous Joan Anderson. I want to tell you a little bit about Joan. Joan has been greatly blessed by being able to participate in the worlds of corporate IT, corporate management, and to serve overseas. And I'll tell you a little bit about that's where we connected. She believes that one of life's greatest opportunities for deepest fulfillment is in being able to serve others and positively impact their space. And this yields deep joy for Joan, which you're going to hear about, and is her primary motivator. She reflects on Christ, so she's a sister of ours, and one of his models for success. Success is not measured by how many people serve you, but in how many people you serve. Joan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tracy. Such a blessing to to be here and to see you again. And to our listeners out there, I always like to give people context. I have known Joan, I think I met you 2016, Joan, do you think? Okay, I went over to Kosovo, to the Kosovo Leadership Academy, and that's where I met Joan. Joan was overseas teaching, and I went back several times since then, always connected with Joan. And in addition to loving to teach and serve the people in Kosovo and teach leadership, Joan also is huge into pet rescue. So she's going to talk with us about, at the end about that. But I would connect with Joan and bring pups back from the streets of Kosovo and I would land in BWI and somebody would pick them up. So we serve uh, God and a lot of God's creatures together. So Joan, I'm just mm-hmm. thrilled to have you here, sister. It's been many years we've known each other and you're one of my heroes. Wow. That's humbling to me, Tracy. Thanks so much. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I'll share with your listeners. Um, we first met getting on the bus from the hotel in Pristina going to the ribbon cutting ceremony at this school. And I remember vividly getting on the bus and saying, there's a mom and a handful of puppies in the back of the hotel. It's July. They have no food, no water. Tracy turned to me and said, we're going after when we get back. <laughs> and we're going to feed them and give them water. And then thus began our, our That was it, Joan. Oh, my goodness, your memory. That was so wonderful. We went back yeah. there and we brought them some food. And you can share with what's going on. It's getting better, yeah. but there's still a long way to go. But one street dog at a time, sister. That's right. That's right. That's yep. right. And that was that fabulous ribbon cut. And we'll talk a little bit about a KLA and your work there that you've done that mm-hmm. and what you're doing now. And Joan even lived with me. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights time a couple years ago and really helped me set up, get the podcast, get the office. So we keep crossing paths and it's exciting. She's back stateside. I'm sure she'll tell you about what she's doing. When I thought about the leadership podcast and all you've been through, I really want to unpack my father's speech called The Price of Leadership, where he talked about the four things you're going to have to experience and pay if you are really going to be a leader and not a leader in name only. And the first one he talked about is loneliness. And we've all heard that phrase, you know, it's lonely at the top, heavy as the hair, head that wears the crowd. Gee, even Christ endured loneliness. But can you share for our listeners maybe a time in your life 
where you encountered loneliness, a season of it, and what words you would give to our listeners out there, perhaps if they are in a season of loneliness. Thanks, Tracy. And thanks for sharing of your father's writings. I learned so much from him and in particular, this this particular speech that he gave and reflecting upon loneliness and the way he describes it. I remember being in Kosovo and embracing, being able to embrace the students and being so impacted by their uniqueness and how special they were. Uh, I wanted to do all that I could to bring home to them how valuable they are and even perhaps instill in them a belief that they can bring change to their country. So one of the assignments that I was given was to teach a STEM course for a full year for the 8th to 12th grade. And I didn't know STEM. I was a math person. So we dug in and we explored it together. And one of the comments or things that the students would always share with me is how embarrassed they were or frustrated were with the state of the pollution in, in their country. You know, they they haven't water, air, um, street garbage, it's everywhere. And so I started looking around and read about Sweden's transformation. And I think um, Stockholm, one of the major cities in Sweden, was given the Green City of the Year Award in the world. And so we started to study and I said, okay, you guys, let's start looking into this. Let's study Sweden and see what was their transformation and how did it transpire for the country. So I started to get this idea in my head, well, wouldn't it be great if we did a multimedia presentation and we took it to Sweden and we gave the kids the opportunity to travel there and learn from the experts. And this was was a crazy idea. So that's where the loneliness part sets in, not from a negative standpoint from anybody there, but I knew to pursue this path, it was going to be I'm going to be out there on my own trying to make this work. So lo and behold, the kids set off and they worked on building this presentation. And I did some research and I contacted a think tank in Sweden. I arranged a meeting with them in the summer. I flew over. The director was going to come. She had some other obligations where she couldn't come at the last minute. Flew and met with them, proposed the idea. The director of the think tank was just moved to no end. And he said, please bring your students here and we will give them a week of touring and education. And so long story short, 14 in October that year, we took 14 students. They got a grand tour of all that Sweden had had done to go from where they were to where they are today or back the time when we visited them. And it was transformational for me, but for the students too. And even the one of the leaders who had been in the transformation of Sweden for 40 years, he spent so much time with the students, talking to them, tour, taking them to different waste management facilities. And, and the tour guide of the research facility said to me, Joan, she said, so I've done over a hundred of these and I've never seen him spend so much time with a tour group. And then she also said to me, out of those 100, this group has been the most impressive that I've ever done. She had done tour groups from, to have a student tour group was very, very rare, but then to have that accolade was something else. And what was neat was when we got there, they asked if our kids would do a presentation. And so we pulled together, we pulled a very late night sessions and picked the students nominated of the team to present. One presented on the school, one presented on Kosovo, and they just nailed it. They just did a fabulous job. And then we started to get requests from other Sweden businesses for them to come and present their story. It was truly remarkable. And the kids got home. And not long after that, that gentleman who had been in Sweden for 40 years, he emailed me. He said, here's something you need to go to. It was 
a business or a leadership seminar created in Macedonia by some leading entrepreneurs and for the transformation of Macedonia and the neighboring countries. And so that developed a relationship that blossomed later. And she invited our students to Macedonia to attend seminars on entrepreneurship. And from that, we took eight students to that one. And one of the young men who was very, very bright, he said, Teacher Joan, that was one of the best weekends of my life. And so and it all just came because of this passion or this urging that God gave me, you need to do this. No matter how lonely you are or nobody's standing beside you, you need to do this. And, it, you know, that initial trip to Sweden came out of my own pocket. I just had to just go with it. Mm-hmm. So that was the story of kind of professional loneliness, stepping out there and then the rewards that came from that. Sorry mm-hmm. that ended up being long-winded, but... <laughs> No, I love that, Jen. And I love that you talked about, remember, if you are the first one doing this, you by nature, the fact that you're the first one doing it, you're going to be the only one or alone. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's a different form of loneliness, but I love it. And then you're in a different culture with a different perspective of, like you said, clean water, litter. I mean, it's there and the different language. And yet you still, all the times you really feel like, well, I'm really alone in so many ways, not just in concept, but also you were not from this land. So you're kind of a sojourner over there, but trying to help. And I love that, that even in we're in circumstances where we really are alone from how we look, how we speak, where we come from, if it's laid on your heart, you just got to go for it. And Mm -hmm. you followed it and you put your own sweat equity and wealth equity in there to make it happen, which is Mm -hmm. a big deal because a lot of people like, well, nobody's going to fund it. Well, then you fund it. So Mm -hmm. you may be the only bank account. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of times it's an entrepreneurship and ministry. Yeah, we're funding, self-funding. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that, your bravery in doing that. And he also talked about, as far as loneliness, he talked about weariness. I know some of the things over there, you're working to make things better. And it's a sea that just one little, like the starfish. Well, I say that one little starfish, but there's a gazillion starfish or dogs or kids out there. Joan, how do you stay strong? And I know a lot about your health and how you take care of yourself, but how do you combat weariness? I think probably the most pivotal season of my life was when, after I came to faith in Jesus, I was introduced to Christian apologetics. And boy, that has been the anchor for my life. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the leaders were that taught me so much said, we all really have four basic questions that we need to answer. And they are origin, how did we get here, meaning, what is my purpose, morality, on what foundation do we determine right from wrong and destiny? Where are we going? Mm. And then from that, if we answer those questions honestly, and then our answers are measured with integrity against the test for truth, we begin to take shape a worldview from which provides a lens for us to view the world. So once I really grasp that and pursued that, most of these questions or all of these questions that your dad has presented and talked through, I kept coming back to this framework as being my solution, my foundation for getting through. So for weariness, very rarely am I weary from the standpoint of discouragement or despair. We all deal with physical lonely or physical weariness because we get tired. But even that, when I'm pursuing my passion, the uh, physical weariness side is much less than if I didn't have that that drive before. I can go a lot further. And a recent example, I recently switched from two different roles in my work. And one was very much focused on 
my team. I was in a supervisory role. And boy, I could work 12, 15 hours and look at the clock and say, where did that go? You know, because I'm helping solve problems and I'm helping people. And I've found that gives me so much energy. And I switched now to doing more of a, a staff oriented role and reading and research, which has always been my passion. But I found that I do get tired much more quickly than when I'm serving people. So that's been really enlightening to me. I like them both. But when I'm serving people and meeting their needs, I can go a lot further. But so for me, weariness, it can be combated by having my worldview firmly in place mm-hmm. and making sure I'm, I'm sticking to those principles. One is weary. Is it that cognitive work tires you more physically? I mean, your brain is a muscle too. Mm-hmm. Or do you think it's more you're in your gifting more with serving others. I mean, I'm sure you're excellent at both, but where do you think the different level is weariness? Because that's the other thing is, is it just actual weariness because we're mere mortals? So you're just gonna, or is it your body telling you this is the kind of weariness where you need to adjust something? If you can, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're assigned at work, you're assigned at work, but what do you think? It's a good question. I think I have seen that I, with just pure cognitive work, get there and you're long, you start your day and you go to where you end, much more drained from a cognitive exercise, just constantly reading manuals. I'm from right now, my job is to create teaching curriculum. So I'm reading the product manuals and shaping it. So it is more draining. I'm older now too. So it's not like I'm fresh in college and I can do much more, but I could do twice as many more hours if I'm just helping solve problems for my team than when I'm just pure cognitive effort. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And you know, the the mind is a muscle too. So yeah. 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 I'm sure age factors in there too, though. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So loneliness, weariness, Joan, my father talked about abandonment and typically abandonment has a very negative connotation, you know, fear of abandonment or in the world of pet rescue, like Joan and I are, that is the unforgivable sin, but that's not what he's talking about. When he talks about abandonment, what he means is pruning away what is not your highest and best calling. Stop doing what you like and want to do in favor of what you ought and need to do. So it's a really tight, singular focus. I'm sure you get called many ways to serve. You're good in so many ways. How do you stay on point? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And I like how your father phrased the concept of abandonment. Again, it comes back to a really sharply focused worldview. And because I think that provides a filter for what mm-hmm. we allow into our space and what we say no to, even though there's a flood of really honorable efforts that we can place our time. But once we understand our purpose and the framework that God has given to us, both generally as a Christian people, but also individually, those things are much more easily handled and addressed. Beautiful. I love that. Honorable efforts. And I love that filter. And that will really help you. And again, it's all good, but remember, God knows everything. So don't say, oh, if I don't do it, nobody will. That's not true. <laughs> God already knows who's going to do it because he's already seen it to the end. So it's right. good to kind of let go of that because I think sometimes we beat ourselves up like, well, if I don't do it, trust me, you are not indispensable. You know what I'm saying? God, right. has many, right. many people that's even the bad stuff he reworks. So I love that, that honorable efforts, honorable in whose eyes. It may be honorable, but is it your best? And I love that sharply focus and then the filter can weed out the stuff that somebody else should be called to serve to do. Mm -hmm. I like what your dad said to the power of a single book at the right time in a person's life is unlimited. Keeping my mind in the right books and the right content 
helped shape things and provide perspective so, so well. In addition to uh, when I go to bed or put my head on the pillow at night, I want to know that he would say, well done. That's a driving factor that helps filter out a lot of the items that I should not be focused on that I'm not particularly called to. So that helps a lot. And then I also learned that there are some things in life that really give my worldview a kick. I used to teach Sunday school for kindergartners and first graders. And I would come out of there and I would be so humbled. Boy, my world would just got a reshaping because kids and animals, boy, can they just set your course right back on gear? They're just so simple and so humble and their perspective is so clear. So those kinds of things really help help me focus on the right things. Well, you brought Oh, absolutely. Well, you brought up the thing about the books. And I did hear a sermon a couple of days ago and they talked about, okay, so we're in this time, this artificial construct of time that God put us in for right now, but he's eternal and everything beyond once we're out of these suits, we're back into the eternal phase. There are pieces of mm-hmm. us that are eternal, but they said, whenever you are in the word or reading a great book from somebody that has gone on to glory, you step mm-hmm. out of the temporal world into eternity. And so that's why these books can transform you. And I thought, so we can actually be in eternity ahead of time, kind of get a jump (laughs) by the more great book. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a great way to put it because that's where you do get transformed. You don't just learn more from this, but you actually leave this world and you get to start uh, tasting glory ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So you bring, I'm so glad you brought that up because abandonment, we need to stop. And I get you're tired or you're working all day and researching and you need to just kind of maybe read fiction or watch a silly show for a little. Be very intentional about not being a steady diet. It'll rot your mind, just like too many sweets rot your teeth Mm -hmm. and abandon the time sucks we like to call them where that's not really good in the overall picture. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I'm glad you brought up that thing that he talked about. Look, see, at the right time. Okay, loneliness, weary abandonment, and then vision. And mm-hmm. I can remember growing up with these greats that I sat under. I'm like, well, that's them. They're visionaries. I'm kind of a, just a doer. I li- like you. I like fixing things. I like researching. But my dad was like, vision is just seeing what needs to be done. Okay, we can do that. We got a discerning eye. And then doing it. So he was very pragmatic about it. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You have to be like Nostradamus or Elon Musk visionary, but vision is just going out there and being very strategic, but then having a call to action, being very tactical. So how do you, Joan, I've watched you go through many changes in your life and we're always calling each other up and saying, okay, what's the next chapter looking like? How do you craft your vision? Thanks for the question. I loved what your dad said, so many aspects of it. And one of the things that, well, he first said, we can't pay the price of leadership without knowing where we're going and what we're doing. And perspective is vital. And he quoted scriptures, Proverbs 29, 18, without vision, people perish. And I remember sharing that with some of the students in Kosovo. It's just so profound. And I think in that, it says that that it's a mandate. God wouldn't say yes. that in that way if it, if it wasn't something that we were supposed to pursue yeah. and follow. And plus, he gives the, the tools to pursue it. But I think I took away so profoundly from your dad was he said vision is being able to see things as they are. And what rung true to me there was truth. And the definition of truth in Christian apologetics is reality as it really is. Truth is what corresponds to reality. And that always made me think. And I think that's what the Christian worldview provides most clearly is the profound way to see what we experience day in and day out as it really is. 
and it gives us an unusual vantage point. And your dad says he learned so much from great thinkers, quotes Lincoln and Patrick Henry and some other profound people. My go-to men are uh, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton. They helped me stay true to vision. And if I could, I'll, I'll quote, um, Alistair McGrath just wrote a lot about C.S. Lewis in, in a biography, and he comments on this concept of vision. If you don't mind, I'll read a short Please. excerpt. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for Lewis, the Christian faith offers us a means of seeing things properly as they really are, just like your dad would say, despite their outward appearances. Christianity provides an intellectually capacious an imaginatively satisfying way of seeing things and grasping their interconnectedness, even if we find it difficult to express in words. Lewis's affirmation of the reasonableness of the Christian faith rests on his own quite distinct way of seeing the rationality of the created order and its ultimate grounding in God. Using a powerful visual image, Lewis invites us to see God as both the ground of the rationality of the world and the one who enables us to grasp it. And he says, and this is a popular quote of Lewis, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, capital S-U-N, has risen not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Right. So he offers us a standpoint from which we may survey things and grasp their intrinsic coherence. And that's one of the tests for truth, too, and coherence. But I keep true to my vision if I so align myself that the particular day by just focusing on on God's word, his truth, and his portrayal of reality as it really is. Thank you, Joan. And for our listeners out there, if you want to learn more about apologetics, which is Lewis is another one of my top five, he was the master of it, many go to, just the way he would right. unpack truth. And I mm-hmm. love you. I always say unpacking truth, but you called it the test for truth. And mm-hmm. again, I heard a sermon the other day and it said, yeah, I hear a lot of sermons every day. And it said, love, unless it's rooted in truth, is not love. And so mm-hmm. I love that you've hit on truth because a lot of people, I was just love, love, love. It's all, no, 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 no. That is a poison. Love, if it's not grounded or rooted in truth, just like if you tell somebody, if you're a life coach or, you know, I can change your life, if it's not rooted in the reality of how, what's really going on, you're enabling, you're setting them up for failure, or you're sending them straight on the pathway to hell. I mean, you got to have truth always into it. So I love that. And that's really what vision is. We got to be honest with ourselves. We got to be honest before God. We got to let him shine the light through us and see all the things that maybe we don't want to see or can't see. And so I love that you really pulled Lewis and uh, Chesterton into it. And yeah, love those two. Yeah. Yeah. Profound thinkers. We've been blessed by oh, God gosh. putting them on this earth. Where would we be? I mean, I even just read one page of and anything C.S. Lewis. And it's just, I'm just like, just one page takes me like a half an hour because I just sit there and I'm like, I can't wait to meet him. Out of all the people I'm excited to meet, <laughs> yeah. he's like in the top 20. There's others before, but I'd definitely <laughs> run up to <laughs> Even a quote. I have a book on the quotable C.S. Lewis. And I sent you a picture of my cat was sitting on top of the book, <laughs> keeping his thoughts captive. So <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, listen, I just thank you so much for unpacking what these four concepts mean to you. And is there anything else from a leadership perspective? Could you bring us up to speed on where you are now? And I'd also like for our listeners to hear about what you're doing, because you are still reaching out, even though you're living stateside, with Mm -hmm. uh, impacting the lives of the street dogs in Kosovo. Yeah, thanks, Tracy, so much. I came back two years ago now, came at first because one of my students got a scholarship at a top school here. And then I've stayed 
And I'm back in the corporate world, back in technical education. So I'm enjoying that. But I've also kept in touch with some really special people over there. And Tracy, do you remember, I introduced you to my vet over there, who's one of the leading vets in the country. And we looked at, Tracy was, went out of her way to come with us. And we looked at some property for him to build a state-of-the-art facility. He ended up building one in the city of Pristina, which he, that's where his client base was. So he's there. But the animal situation is very dire mm-hmm. in there, in Kosovo still, um, in case and I think, Tracy, you were one of the ones that said, I just can't go anymore. It just hurts too much. And It did. And I've seen a lot of bad things. I've been to war. The right, dog right. thing, really, that is difficult. Yeah. And but all the listeners should know every time Tracy came, she took one or two dogs back with her. And you were stranded in the airport once with one of the dogs, right? Weren't yeah, you? in Frankfurt. Thank goodness it was Frankfurt. The Germans <laughs> loved their hunts, their hunts. And so I was like a rock star in the airport. And uh, yeah, I mean, if I would have been like in England, they like their cats, but Great Britain. But I mean, in Germany, I had this beautiful kind of shepherd mix and they were like, I'm like, I know this dog is really cool. <laughs> Bella, I think. Oh, I think she... Bella was her name. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God had it right. If you're going to get stranded with a dog, Frankfurt's a good airport to be at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. In fact, so I brought two Kosovo dogs back here and they were oddly enough rescued by two German women who were working in Kosovo for separate. And then they ended up at Luzim. Luzim is a fine young man over there who's, he's like us. He just can't say no. And so he's got about a hundred dogs that he has on his property, but, and it's immaculate. He knows how to do it and he runs it, but it's just never ending. So he's trying to build up to 200. So long story short, recently we formed an NGO in Kosovo and the really wanted some strategic people on that. One is my vet and one is Luzim and then a local man from, she's the director and he has built so many animal facilities for me on my property. But anyway, the goal is to try to influence government and have a strategic operation from the government down to try to rid um the stray population of Kosovo. And something you said when we were driving around in Kosovo one day, she said, Joan, America was like this once years ago, and this can be fixed. Yes. We it's treated been... animals like property and dirt and street dogs too. Yes. yes. That just really stuck with me. And so I yes. just have this belief that just similar to embarking to that trip to Sweden on a much smaller scale, I think we can impact, just takes the right people, somebody with where it's not an impact to their budget to invest. And so we'd like to tactically get as many dogs and cats out of Kosovo until we can have a countrywide solution, but build shelters there too. So there's a, we have a building plan for a sheltered in on my property in Kachich where I lived. And I think once it's seen how it can be done, we can replicate it. But the goal would be to go out of business, you know, not to have shelters. I know, I know. But to spay, neuter, effectively right now, money is given for spaying and neutering, but it doesn't go to the animals. One of my dogs that I brought home, he was tagged, but he wasn't neutered. Mm-hmm. You'll see pictures of female dogs with tagged ears, but they have a litter of puppies. So the money is not used properly. So it just need great oversight. Yeah. So strategically, we'd like to rid the stray population by having an effective program to influence the country. But right now, just try to impact the suffering that's going on now through different mechanisms. And can people reach out to you if they're interested in supporting? Yeah. You? Yeah. Right now, I just have my personal email address. We'll have that. 
Yeah. Okay. And then Joan, you talked about that. Is it, are they called the Anatolian shepherds? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have two of them, right? Well, I have a shard. The actual, a char, okay. Uh, are they similar to the Anatolian shepherds? Um, no, the Anatolians are shorter here, but I did have one of those over there. Okay. It's amazing. But these are like the char dogs, and that's a shorter nickname for the Albanian name. But they are like Great Pyrenees, Newfoundland okay. kind of love. They're big, well, big kids. Yeah. Well, the, for those people that are interested in this, because although I have my Aussies now, but I thought about it. But I was at <laughs> a Christmas market last week, and a lady had two. Anatolian shepherds. And I'm like, I never knew anybody stateside. And she's like, there's a lady that brought back these from overseas, 11 dogs, and she breeds them. But if you're interested in rescuing one, there's plenty of them that Joan. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was because I've never seen anybody stateside that even knew the breeder had one. So it was fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Let, and let Joan know because they have this transport going on back and forth. Uh, usually we get into Maryland or uh, the DC area and and pick the pups up. But we sure will put your information there, Joan, or if you have a heart to help the animals, because it really makes an impact. It teaches the youth, too, that these are God's creatures and they deserve love and compassion, too, because until you're taught that all things from the planet, everything on the planet, to include the planet, need care and tendering, tending to by a man and woman, you don't intrinsically get that. So, And I've recently come across, there have been two organizations that do flight rescues okay. with dozens of animals. So I've reached out to them. They've been stateside mostly, so, but they said, well, we'll keep it, we'll keep it as an option. So yeah. if anybody knows of any, because that would be a way to get through the winters particularly, you know. Oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, for anybody that travels overseas, before you go over, if you're going with anybody, ask them, is there a local vet or rescue where I can, and you just got to show up early. The rescue pays the money. Right. And you just, I would tell people I'm a mule. I'm a pet mule. <laughs> I'm not smuggling drugs. Yeah. I'm bringing back. Yeah. You know? We call them flight volunteers. All the paperwork oh, okay. is done. You just show up and just say yeah. that you're taking I just take my dog if it was small enough to carry on. Otherwise, they'd transport it. And if you're flying overseas and you want to add the blessing, they just need an escort. So ask people over there, say, hey, is there a local shelter or vet clinic that they just show up and then you just pick the animal up at the airport and, and get it through. So that's a, another fabulous way to serve. Yeah, for sure. And we are yeah. so grateful for people like you, Tracy, always taking animals oh, back. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, you brought back great memories. All right. Well, Joan, I just again, I can't uh, thank you enough. We will have Joan's contact information in the show notes because you definitely want to stay in touch with her. And uh, sister, I look forward to connecting with you in person again soon, especially now that you're stateside again. So grateful to you, Tracy. Thank you for your time. It's been a blessing. You are so welcome. And to our leaders out there, remember, you're going to be the same person five years from now that you are today, except for two things, people you meet and the books you read. So you just got to meet the tremendous Joan Anderson. Please connect with her. If you like what you heard, please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And if you would do this, uh, us uh, the honor of the review, that helps other people see what they need to hear. So we hope that you've been blessed with paying the price of leadership. And I thank you all for praying the prices leadership. Joan, thank you again. And to our tremendous listeners out there, have a tremendous rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.